Hey everyone, this is Bill Kenny, CEO of Focus Lab. I'm here with another episode of The Debrief. As a reminder, The Debrief is a series where I sit down and have candid conversations with past Focus Lab partners. We discuss what it was like to go through the rebrand journey in a very genuine and authentic way to share that experience and those insights with you all. So in today's episode, uh, I'm sitting down with a two-time rebrand partner. His name is Sergio Claudio. We had the pleasure of working with him when he was the head of brand at Marketo, and now again as the VP of brand experience at Zora. So in today's episode, we'll be talking about the Zora rebrand. Really, really valuable information shared in this episode. If you are someone positioned as a project driver on the rebrand, what I mean by that is not the CEO, potentially not even the CMO, but a really day-to-day -day team player on the rebrand where there's a lot of decision-making happening. You're a bridge between multiple parties, stakeholders within the organization. You play a really important part in the rebrand from that perspective. This is exactly the episode for you. Sergio did that with Masterclass, and we spend so much time talking about both the importance of that role within a rebrand and the execution all of these moving parts as the project driver really really valuable episode so have at it i hope you enjoy all right sergio we're back at it dude i'm so happy hey. to be chatting with you again thanks for having me back bill yeah, so when I say again, so everybody listening and watching is aware of what I mean, uh, we had the pleasure of working with you on the our Marketo rebrand. Uh, and now today we're going to be talking about the Zora rebrand. And we'll get more into the dynamics of how those two projects might have been different and how they were similar. But first, can you take a second and introduce yourself and let everybody know um, why you're here, what your role was at Zora? Absolutely. Thank you. Um, I'm Sergio Claudio. I'm the former vice president of brand experience at Zora. All right, and you sat in a really, really critical seat uh, going through the rebrand. You basically sat as kind of the lead and point person on the Zora side, correct? Yeah, yeah. You know, what was interesting about the experience at Zora, um, you know, Zora was a company that was going through a lot of changes, a lot of evolution, and, you know, looked at making brand its priority in terms of the next chapter of growth, right? Brand was going to be a huge door opener for, um, you know, helping the company achieve some of its goals, which we'll cover here in a few minutes. But, you know, what the company had never done was it had never aligned all of the different functions that necessarily play a role in brand, right? And so you had events teams that were in one part of the organization, you had brand and creative that were in a different part of the organization, you had um, video, uh, web, right? All of these groups were in different functions. And so part of the journey in my joining Zora was to bring those organizations together into a new integrated team that was called brand experience. And the strategy behind that was to say, look, you know, the folks that are in brand and design, the folks that are in events, the folks that are in web and IT, they all have responsibility over the perception of the brand, right? The experience. Mm -hmm the stories that we tell, the images that you see, you know, how how you flow between run, one experience to another, how you get from, you know, discovery into the product, right, through the login screens. And so how do, how could we make sure that as we're trying to elevate the brand, all those experiences are integrated 
And that was, you know, the, 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 the strategy behind me coming on board was to bring that team together into one integrated brand experience organization. Yeah. Now let's ask the really obvious, but important questions. Why does that matter? You know, what I would say, the art of branding is really the art of make-believe. Make-believe mm -hmm. meaning you want to make people believe something. And, you know, mm -hmm. that was where Zora was in their journey was, you know, how do we get our customers, our prospects, our audiences to believe in our expanded potential, believe in our expanded offering, believe in the momentum of the company, right? How do we get Wall Street to pay attention and believe the right way? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's the role that branding plays is how do you get audiences to believe in the promise of your brand? How do you turn the reasons to buy your software, this company, this story into reasons to believe, right? And so that was really important is how, how do you take, you know, the great technology that Zora was built, building and the momentum they had as becoming a product-led company and turn them mm -hmm. into a company that meets brand with product growth and performance? We're hitting on really valuable topics already. This is the point of these interviews. Uh, I mm -hmm. like the twist that you put on that. So bringing that alignment mm -hmm. across the whole company is really important. And you kind of hinted at it, especially as a publicly traded uh, company. It's a, it's a big deal to make sure that that alignment is there as that organization is growing and already has pretty significant scale. Um, mm -hmm. The game of make-believe. Uh, mm -hmm. I like how you you even told that story. All right, so so you you join the team. Zora recognizes the importance of getting that alignment um, and investing in brand. And then I'm I'm guessing you're tasked with finding the right team to work with. Now we've already kind of suggested that we had worked together before. Um, was there any decision making that was different this time around? Yeah, you know, at the time that I was speaking with the company and making the decision to join the team. Um, the need for brand and brand transformation was high on the list, right? Again, that's why mm -hmm. we had gotten in the conversation in the first place. You guys were certainly one of the first people that I called, right? You know, I think as trusted mm -hmm. partners, having just the history of the great work that we did together at Marketo and Adobe, um, you know, so certainly, you know, had you guys top of mind, but, you know, there was certainly work that needed to be done before we were actually able to get a project kicked uh -huh. off. And I think part of that work was around, again, this concept of, make believe that branding plays, which is getting everybody on the same page, right? How do you start to get everybody to start believing in the same thing? With Zora, brand was such a priority that you had a lot of people that were trying to solve it in their own ways, right? And so oh, you, have a, yes. you have a lot of teams that are starting to say, hey, brand is this, and we're going to make these investments and take it down this path. And you had a product organization that was, again, same positive intent, but different approach, right? And you had another organization, again, same noble intent, different approach. And so the work early on was about connecting with everyone, um, sort of establishing partnership with a new organization coming into, you know, an organization of legacy teams to start to at least get everybody to see the problem from the same perspective so that then collectively the teams were on board with bringing in a new partner to come in and help us solve the problem. Mm -hmm. you know, I also think, I think, um, you know, we're in an age of in-house and B2B teams, um, you know, yep. in concert with external agencies. 
And yep. I think a lot of organizations are still trying to figure that out. And so, you know, you have many teams where, you know, they believe that, hey, we've made these investments internally, we should be able to solve this problem internally. But sometimes when you have a lot of different teams working together, that external third party pr provides just a great vehicle as a facilitator, as a partner to help drive these teams to make decisions. And so yes. you know, that was some of the work that needed to be done, right? The alignment internally to get everybody on the same page, see the problem from similar perspectives to then get on board with saying, hey, let's bring in an external partner to come help us with this work. Yeah, and, uh, and you've expressed this, but I wanna reiterate how important that work is. Mm-hmm getting that those groups together within a single focus of why we're doing this, what it means and in alignment before a project kicks off is a monumental task. One, that's a mm -hmm. lot of work. Thank you for that. Uh, and second is really imperative to the speed, efficiency and success of the project. Without that, you're doing that in the project. And that happens mm -hmm. all the time. And it doesn't mean those projects fail either, but they are so much smoother when that work is done up front and it quite honestly, it takes somebody like yourself to understand that and to organize it. We can project how important that is even in our own kind of onboarding process and stuff like that. But, um, having somebody inside the other camp, if you will, that understands that and has already started that work is really important. That would be another huge takeaway of this call already, uh, understanding how important it is to do that work up front. Are there any, critical steps in that process that you would maybe highlight here that people could act on? I mean, one, thank you for the, the support in those statements. And I would say it, when you go through this process several times, having a structured sort of internal discovery is critical, right? I think a lot of people might say, hey, we're not gonna start any of this work until we get the agency on board. We're searching for mm -hmm. an agency, um, you know, we're going to spend a lot of our time in the RFP process. We're going to spend our time writing our brief and whoever answers the brief best, we're going to join them. And we're going to start the work that day one kickoff meeting. And, mm -hmm. you know, having gone through this several times, just to your point around, um, learning experiences, tips, there's uh, an adequate amount of alignment that needs to happen upfront. And I would say this was in my first uh 30 days at the company approaching an effort like this while i i i had the relationship with your team you know behind the mm -hmm. scenes i had a point of view and maybe a sense of direction of where things needed to go i sort of needed to carry all that in my back pocket yeah. in these early yep. days it's about getting in listening establishing the partnerships and connections right i like to say you know kind of walking in with an empty cup and so mm -hmm. when you're walking in and you're listening to what these teams are saying and you're hearing the solutions that they've been implementing, but getting underneath to the why they went those directions, what did they learn? What was the feedback? What were the insights? And you're gathering all that in the process. Then when you are ready to bring on an agency, what's happening is that this effort is representative of the collective effort versus the effort of just the brand team or just the marketing team that might be driving this. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think, yes. you know, the biggest piece is establishing relationships cross-functionally, broadly, quickly, and, you know, making sure that when you kick off these processes, that the people that you bring to the table are not just creative, not just brand, but these cross-functional teams that you've been doing the discovery with, you know, that's the yep. way that you start to get people invested early. I've been chatting yes. about this challenge. 
I've been establishing this partnership. I'm now brought into the tent and we're ready to play ball. Mm -hmm. So how do you avoid the conundrum, which could be having so many people involved that now it becomes unwieldy. There's a fine line there. This is something we could borrow from like sprint and design thinking processes, right? Design sprints, design thinking where, you know, you have to name a decider, right? And I think that decider isn't necessarily the person meant to be the loudest voice in the room. That person is meant to solve the challenge that you laid out, right? Mm -hmm. When you have a lot of opinions, you have a lot of great ideas, you need to make progress. You need, you need to make decisions. And so the role of that decider is to hear everything that's been laid out, right? See where some of the energy is in the room, help bring the team to come to a decision. And I think that's a big part of this process. And that was a big part of the process at Zora, which was you had a lot of passionate team members who already had ideas in motion and how to solve this and already had different understandings. And so, you know, I think the steps were one, build a common view of the challenge Two, build a common language around the challenges that we were solving and the different approaches that were there. And then three, you know, hold the view of what success was meant to be and always help keep the team marching towards success, right? With that, that, that shared outcome. And so when you yes. have that shared outcome and you play the role of the decider, then what you're able to do is help sort of reflect the priorities back to the team. Hey, this is what the team agreed on were the priorities. This is what the team agreed on were the attributes. This is what the team agreed on and what success and outcomes look like. My job is to help keeping us move towards those outcomes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, sir, I've got to tell you, we've spent more time in this section than I've spent in any other interview, and it has been so valuable. We're touching on things that are not touched on in my other interviews. And I think that is both because of your experience and again, maybe the scale and the size of the rebrand that was Zora and how to navigate this. Uh, it's another monumental task. You know, that's why these <laughs> rebrand projects are, can be long and arduous. And, and I would even argue that they're meant to be quite honestly, mm -hmm. like it, that they just can't be easy. They're not supposed to be easy. The challenge at play is not an easy challenge. Um, uh, so yes, thank you for highlighting, uh, the importance of the decider. It is something that we speak to in the onboarding process of a project. Some people are familiar with that language. Some people struggle with the language, right? Of, mm -hmm. in, in not necessarily dis in disagreement, but just in understanding of what does it look like in practice? Right. Does yeah. that mean just, you know, I'm going to make all the calls now and the CEO's opinion doesn't matter. Like, no, it doesn't mean that, but someone needs to be that key facilitator, like you're saying, that helps the ball continue to roll, whether that's in the background or having to come really close to the foreground to help decisions be made. Well, you know, I think um, there's a couple things to, to highlight in, in, in those points that you made, which is, you know, part of this process is a lot of times when you're in an organization that's kicking off something like this, it becomes, we own it. It's ours. There's a, a, I think a shift that needs to come into play where it's, you know, our job as the brand experience organization was to steward this process, but our job was not to own this in terms sure. of make ours only, right? It was meant yes. to be ours broadly as a collective team. And so 
our job continued to be, how do we make people feel like they're invested in this and that their names are on this and that they can feel proud of the work that they're going to do in this and make it more mm -hmm. theirs than our own, right? Yeah. So I think that there's a piece of it around ego and not coming into this with yeah. ego, being willing to let go of things that you might not used to be letting go with, you know, of, right? You know, yeah. I'll tell you another one yeah. insiders was our product marketing organization because there were areas in their domain that we wanted the decision to feel driven by them, right? We were just helping mm -hmm. bring all the, the point that you made about this being a long process. I come back to process a lot in this story for the, for the Zora brand mm -hmm. um, because sometimes you've got to trust the process even if you feel inclined to rush the process. Right. Yes. Which, yes. You got to give time for it to bake. You got to give time yes. and space for think. You got to let people come back to the work. Right. Yes. It takes, I think that is the most often one of the most uncomfortable parts of the project, which is the patience game. Mm -hmm. It takes time to bake. It's like literally the best way to say it. You can't rush it. Even when you feel like you're onto something great and things might seem like they're going faster than anticipated, the bake still has to happen. And there's all these other kind of components that need to happen and other people that are. It's not that everyone needs to weigh in and we need everyone's opinion every week, but things do need to be communicated appropriately so people understand and people are bought in, whether they love a color or not, right? Like a relevant of those things, that baking takes time. And yeah. the more time th that you allow the process to fully bake, the better the cake is, right? It's and not true. just marginally better, which is why we build backwards, the same way that a cake is built. Uh, yeah. And if, at least if not fully backwards, starting with story, strategy, narrative, all those things, and then starting to overlap and parallel with the iterations and the ideation on logo. Good times. Uh, it's hard to be patient though. That's the takeaway. It is a hundred percent hard to be patient. Even when Focus Lab went through its rebrand, I knew I would feel the pain and I also felt the pain, right? Like I can mm -hmm. empathize very easily with you. Like, I just want to get to the other thing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I just want to get to the other thing. Kudos to you for, you know, taking your own medicine, right? Cause I, you, you, it's you know, important. when you're the one doing this work, right. And you're doing the branding yep. work and you're doing the web work or whatever it might be. Often the work that gets the least amount of love is your own. Right. Sure. And so yes. I, I yeah. just want to take a moment, like talk to me about how you guys got to a place where you could prioritize doing your own brand. The short answer would be COVID because we mm -hmm. had the capacity to do it. But beyond that, you also need to recognize that it's a worthwhile investment of your time and energy and not doing other things to try to drum up work. But we were also at an inflection point as a company that was like year 10, I believe it was right at the decade for us. And our story was different than what our brand was projecting. Um, it would have been hard for you to believe, going back to the make believe, it would have been hard for people to believe what we were saying say in a call or face-to-face -face, mm -hmm. and what they were seeing then as our brand presented digitally for our website, for example. The two were different. We had grown up a lot, but we still had the old shell of our old, younger, less mature company in a lot of ways, uh, less mature in both positioning, what we stood for, how we approached the work uh, and all those types of things. So we had the time and we said, now's the time to rock and roll. 
uh, and we did it. Um, and I'm really glad we did it. It's, it's yeah. like you said, it's really important to, to slow down and do that for yourselves. Uh, a lot of agencies don't, I think that's a, a big fail point for a lot of agencies. Well, I'd even say it's true for a lot of companies, right? A lot of marketing organizations, true. especially in the yes. space. We spend yes. so much investing in the brands of our customers and helping them innovate and helping them accelerate and helping, you know, raise their profile. And sometimes yes. we lose sight of our own, right? And I think the story that That's you right. just shared is similar for so many CMOs and so many heads of brand and, and executives, which is, you know, when do you find the right time, right? Which is what you said, you know, we needed to start to make sure that our story and our growth was reflected externally and that we could actually yep. make people believe in our growth and momentum as a company and also make your team believe, right? Because I think yes, after right. time, you know, having a new flag that you're planning in your brand with a new message, a new vision, you know, that's reinvigorating for your brand internally, right? To keep, yes. keep people excited and put a vision out there that helps them, you know, weather the storms that are going to come with growing as a company. Yeah. The thing for me, it's like, and I, and I would hope this is true for anybody that's really trying to create something impactful. I lose sleep at night if if I ask myself the question, I wonder if anybody in the company was asked, what do we stand for? Like, why do we exist as a company and why does it matter? And if right now we're 35 people, if there were 35 different answers, I wouldn't be able to sleep knowing that that is the case. Mm -hmm. So during a rebrand effort and you're getting all that alignment, we just all talked about getting everybody all on the same page to a single narrative, to a single position in the market. It's like, okay, I can breathe now. All right. We've got that really important segment, uh, of our brand figured out. Um, so, so yes, to your point, I would hope that even larger organizations with a thousand people, they should be losing sleep if everyone is answering that question, those series of questions in very different ways. That is really problematic from a business yeah. alignment perspective. And how do you get momentum if people can't answer those types of questions, which is a part without trying to sell our services is a really big part of a rebrand, right? That's like, that's a lot of the value. It's not the logo, right? Like that's, that's an outcome. That's a symbol to identify with, but um, it's that alignment piece that is super valuable. Well, I mean, that's, that's a telltale sign that it's time, right? If, if, you know, if yes. marketers are out, there, when do we know that it's time? You know, it's a great example, right? You know, are you losing sleep about people being able to tell a consistent story about who the company is and where the company is? Right. And I would say, yes. you know, that was a lot of that work in the first 30 days at Zora going mm -hmm. to all of these different groups and saying, What's the company vision? What is our purpose? Give us the elevator pitch. And, you know, just at that stage, there were seven, 10 different pitches, right? We had yep. statements that were in onboarding decks. We had statements that were in earnings documents. We had statements that showed up on press releases. We had statements that were on the website. We had statements on LinkedIn. They were not the same. Yeah. And so that was yes. a great way to show everyone this is part of the challenge that we need to solve is how do we get us all on the same page? How do we have a consistent message and story out there in the market? And how do we put the same set of beliefs in everyone's minds around this company, what this company does and where this company is headed? Yeah. How do you achieve it if nobody even can tell you what it is kind of yeah, thing? That's exactly. a critical problem. 
but it is often easier to say, we need to continue building product. We need to build this new feature. And that's the dilemma, right? Being able to get people yeah. to step back, organizations to step back. They're either stepping back themselves or someone's poking them saying like, hey, you're missing a really important thing here. Let's talk about brand. I'll give you one extra credit one there, which is in most software companies, you can always find people in product who can tell you what it is. But the key and the reason why brand leaders exist is that the people that they might speak to don't understand what that means. Oh, right. Yeah. People can yes. speak to the speeds and fees of the company <laughs> and what it does, but you know, does that resonate with your audience? Do they understand sure. that, care about yes. it? That's the role of brand yep. leaders is translating that into, again, those reasons yep. to believe. All right. In project. <laughs> so now we're in the project. Um, we'll spend a little time here. Uh, first question is, what was the most challenging aspect of the Zora rebrand? I'd say the most challenging aspect is what I call balancing progress versus perfection. There's often a lot of times when you have expectations of something going a certain way, and then there becomes the reality of the way that it needs to go, right? The best way for yeah. it to go. It's not about having the perfect presentation. It's not about having the perfect iteration of the work. It's about having the enough of the work that creates space for people to contribute to get to the next version of the work. Yes. Extremely uh, iterative, highly mm -hmm. collaborative. The inverse of that, what was the most rewarding aspect of the Zora rebrand? You know, what's interesting is I was thinking about this the other day. We had two videos for the rebrand effort, right? We had the brand launch video, which was revealing our yep. brand to the world. And then we had our brand hype video, which was revealing the brand progress to the teams internally. And I've got to say that brand hype video in the middle, you know, first off, both videos were great. And thank you to the teams that helped work on those and produce those. But when I look at the impact and sort of those highlights, that brand hype video in the middle of the project was just the the excitement and the energy that came from it was just palpable, right? I feel like uh, that video was about the journey versus the video that was the brand reveal video to the public was the destination. Yes. And so the video yes. in the middle was about the journey was a video about the stories of all the Zoom calls and the brainstorming sessions and the sound bites from people that came up when they thought of the word brand or when they thought of Zora and, you know, the footage that we gained our insights from to figure out what were the colors that people resonated most with? What was the energy? What was the spirit of the company that they wanted to see come through in the brand? And we used all of that to build this brand reveal video that was somewhat in progress of the work, but also just reflection of all of the teams across the company that had participated in this work. Right. And mm -hmm. so when we were able to take that video and show it at our sales kickoff, the excitement was profound. It was, it was, you know, a lot of fire emojis and chats. <laughs> it was essence, right? Essence of the company matched with potential of where the company was headed. And just yep. the, the excitement that came after that for months, right? People participating in all the work, people being excited to dive in and evangelize the brand work and evangelize the growth of the company. It was a milestone moment for sure. 
So during a project, at a certain point, there is an opportunity to loop in the broader company. Now, as our company, we say, be very careful on how you approach that. You really want to wait till things are finished before you do a full reveal. But what you're talking about is this kind of like teaser video, essentially, right? Mm -hmm. It's a, we've been working on a thing. And what you did is you created kind of this, this hype reel to get people excited, which started to show some of the elements and tease out some of the thinking in the process, but did not actually show final outcomes yet, right? It was just enough for them to be like, oh God, I can't wait to have that thing. But I don't know what it fully is. Is that kind of how you approached it? Because I can't even remember the middle yeah. project video at this point. Yeah, yeah, no, thanks for calling that out. So, you know, what the brand video was, um, you know, it was about a midway point in the project. And, uh, you know, several teams have been involved in knowing that this work was coming. But to your point, a lot of the work was happening behind the scenes from a broader sense, right? People knew that yep. something was coming, but they didn't necessarily broadly know where it was yet. You know, at this stage, there were some decisions being made around colors, around fonts, some of the building blocks that it was going to take from a visual identity standpoint. At the same yep. time, there were messages that we were already testing in the market, starting to get feedback from partners um, uh, in our partner ecosystem that really helped us gain confidence that we were headed in the right direction. So once we had a strong sense of direction, even though we didn't have polished materials, it gave us an opportunity to tell a story about where the work yes. was and there highlight some new words and points that were coming up in our story and our narrative, highlight some of the feedback from their, their fellow colleagues that had been involved who they might not have known that were involved, highlight and showcase some of the design elements, some of the web elements, some of the product explorations that were happening to really get people excited. It was certainly a responsible share out being that, you know, most of the material that was shared wasn't public facing ready, but it brought yep. the team in, yes. you know, and I think, yes. I think that's some of the, the balance that you have to strike when you're leading efforts like this is like, you have this desire to hide all the sausage making behind the curtain so that when you deliver it, you know, it's a well-prepared, well-plated meal, right? Yep. But when you're trying to, again, make believe, right? Make people believe in something. Sometimes you got to bring them in, right? You got to yep. let them behind the curtain, let them see what's going on in the kitchen. You can't touch any yep. of the food, right? Don't, don't. <laughs> You don't get to taste but, it yet and give your opinion yeah. on it. Yeah. Yeah. Take a look at this, right? Look at the look at the yeah. way that we're prepping. Look at the way that, you know, all the thought and energy and effort from the people that's going into this. Something that you're gonna be really proud of and you're really gonna enjoy. You know, I yeah. think that's um the spirit of it. You know, I'd say the second thing is these efforts are long, right? And a lot mm -hmm. of times in, you know, fast paced companies, technology companies for sure, you know, it's about having long term vision with near term results. And if yes. you've got people yes. that are investing in this effort because you want to build excitement for the brand and excitement for the company, you know, where are the opportunities that you can find to get people excited without compromising the work, right? And so a sales kickoff, big company meeting, those are the types of things where road showing your brand work goes a long way to its success and the ability to launch and make decisions successfully, right? Yeah, really well said there at the end. Like you want to look for those opportunities to to capture 
and build on that excitement because they can be long. In this example, it was it was quite long as we're building out mm -hmm. all the things for Zora as such a large organization. You don't want that energy or that narrative build excitement, but don't jeopardize, um, I guess, the process really. Mm -hmm. uh, and you did a fantastic job at that. You know, the executive leader over these things sometimes is to be the best PR representative for your team, right? Yes. So I think as you know, I had to shift gears from being the driver to being the champion. That was strategically so that the teams were invested and the teams who were responsible for the work could be proud of the work that they were doing. They felt closer and connected. And my job was to clear the path and cheer them on, right? And so finding these moments of, you know, when is a great opportunity to showcase this work? It's not only about building excitement for the work, but building excitement for the team doing the work. The yep. team doing the work gets to see the response from the rest of the company. They get to mm -hmm. get the kudos and the people cheering them on, right? So I think, you know, just as a leader who's doing this work, finding those moments where you can keep the team excited and keep the team energized and always show them, hey, you know, here's what we're working towards. Look at the excitement, look at the support, look at the anticipation that people have for the work that you're doing, right? That goes yep. a long way into keeping people motivated and driving the whole way. Yes. It also highlights the importance of a dedicated seat. It's not a necessary thing, but it is super valuable. A dedicated seat like yourself. Imagine mm -hmm. a founder trying to do, uh, or CEO trying to do all the things we've discussed on top of leading the organization and having to think about all the other stuff, the revenues and giving financial mm -hmm. earnings reports and all these things like, they can't do all of the stuff that we've already discussed, not because they're not talented enough. They just won't even have the time to do it. They wouldn't have the capacity. You sitting yeah. in that seat and being the driver and the champion and the facilitator and the steward and all these things that are so important, really valuable, super duper valuable. It, it is invaluable having somebody in that seat. It truly is. We know going into a project, if someone is clearly positioned as that person, the project is going to be so much more effective, efficient, but just the chances of like success are, are literally like 99.9% because there mm -hmm. is that dedicated seat there uh, on the project. We as an organization couldn't appreciate people like you more, literally. You make our life and our job easier, better, more successful, et cetera, seriously. Well, thank you. But I'm going to put it right back on you too, because, you know, we've talked a lot about the process, but part of this process exists because of you guys and partners like yourselves, right? Where it's, you're holding our teams accountable. Even as we talked about some of the learnings, they, there are deadlines that the teams have yeah. and sort of mixed priorities. And, you know, it's valuable to have those deadlines sometimes be driven by folks outside of the company, not to make it sound cold, but there is money involved in this transaction. There's budget, there's quarterly spend, right? That we need to yep. realize and that we need to execute against. And so having that independent party that doesn't have to deal with the earning cycle and the company internal fluctuations and all that can help make this work um, uh, persist at times where yeah. there might be other things that are pulling away from the priority. Yeah. And so it's yep. beneficial in a way when you've got a good team to partner with that's holding you accountable, 
that's helping drive some of the operations and creating the, the, the space for this process to happen, but also holding our feet to the fire and there's real implications for things being missed. It really goes yep. a long way saying, hey, I know that we can't make this a priority right now, but decisions have to be made or we're going to face consequences. That scenario is is really valuable. There's a lot of tension there around the, well, seems like you need more time, but you're right. Like they're that's going to change the timeline that can change costs. Right. So you, and we, you never really want to be bad cop, especially in an organization like ours and how we really care about the customer experience and how we um, are perceived as a partner and not just a vendor, but you, it is really valuable to have that third party to say it's a, it's a, basically an accountability partner. That's the yeah. best way to say it. You have a dedicated accountability partner, even though that's that's that person that's saying you got to go to the gym today and you're like, God, I hate this person. I don't want to go to the gym today. It's still valuable to have that person. I'm happy you said that. I actually had that conversation recently, too, in another interview, and they, they pointed out the same thing, which mm -hmm. is to have a third party hold our feet to the fire. You know, it's the old adage, the, uh, you know, constraints breed creativity. And I think yes, when you're yes. with creative work, there's countless ideas that you come up with. And again, that balance between progress and perfection, right? Oh, yeah. we just want to get this last piece of input. Oh, we just want to, you know, get one more turn to get the corner of that R <laughs> the right way. <laughs> yes. You know, but at, at, there's times where you got to make a decision. You got to progress the work, right? You got to keep excitement yes. up, hit deadlines, meet cost, you know, and you got to take advantage of opportunities. You got to be prepared for the opportunity. Now, having gone through two projects uh, with you, big rebrands, both of them, Substantial, Marketo, and Zora, what was different about the two? In the Marketo project, what was interesting was I think everyone was bought into the same flow of the process from the very beginning. And what that meant was that there were decisions being made faster and where we had slowdowns were based on legal. I think if you go back yeah. to Marketo, we talk about legal in the, the global, you know, trademark search and all of that, you know, that was something that um, was a learning experience there, which meant, you know, baking more time in and setting expectations up front around the process of legal approval, trademark approval before being able to get to use finished work. But the process seemed to move through the gates much more quickly. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it was great, great work that came out of that and, and, you know, great excitement, great momentum. Now the work at Zora wasn't too far off from that same timeline, but the process and the journey was different. The destination mm -hmm. was the same. The journey was different. The journey was different yep. because it was a combination of work that was in progress as well as evolutions happening in many different facets of the company. We're a company who's trying to move up market expand to multi-product, change our perception of the market. It's one, two, all three, right? I think Marketo had a lot more maturity in some of its multi-product strategy. And so the process around branding was a lot more focused because, you know, there was a lot more completion on those different fronts to make branding sort of the, the central focus of the work. When yes. it came to Zora, you had a lot of change, right? You had a lot of momentum being gained in a lot of different areas. And mm -hmm. the work became, how do you bring all of those in harmony? 
right? How do you yes. take all of these tunes that people are playing and compose them into a, a, a piece of work? And that involved, mm -hmm. you know, plugging into people's strategies and different priorities and different perspectives on where the brand was headed and what the company was. We had milestones set, but some of those milestones had to slide because again, it, the process needed more time to bake, right? Yes. Um, yeah. The, the logo work was surprisingly fast, right? Very unique mark. Sure. Wasn't something that, you know, had a lot of contention, um, you know, so the trademark process went faster than I had ever imagined. The narrative uh -huh. work was the bigger challenge yeah. yes. because the narrative was changing. Our offering was expanding beyond subscriptions to other types of monetization models. So as all these forces are all sort of maturing at the same time, the work of this brand was to capture all of that momentum of all these different areas of the company pull it together, pull those leaders together and try and get people to a place where they could see the same story. They could see the same vision. Um, whereas, you know, in the previous project, sort of the vision was laid, right? The sure. vision was laid, yeah. but the narrative and the brand identity needed to be evolved here. We needed yeah. to go back to the vision, right? And we needed to kick the yes. tires on the, made sure that it was a strong enough foundation for all the new work to come. A monumental task and it takes time. <laughs> I mean, what are, what are all the things that you have to update as well? Right? I, I can't even imagine the list for Zora of all the things that y'all had to update. It's a, it was a 130, no, 165 touch points across the company, categories of touch points, everything from in office to legal documents, to login screens, to websites, to social media, to all types of things, right? Decks, presentations, localized content, international content. Um, but you know, there's a toolkit in your process that I think helps really drive some of that success, right? Video content, video content, you know, recording meetings, oh, reviews, yes. you know, that really speeds up some of the time that might seem daunting to the people watching this around how do I pull everyone into the room at the same time? How do I gather collective feedback? How do I get the right feedback and the right inputs to make decisions fast enough when people are traveling or when, you know, vacation times are not aligning or holidays or whatever it might be. And video was a huge unlock, right? Sitting mm -hmm. down, recording these interview sessions, and then playing those interview sessions back for other interested parties that wanted those inputs, you know, doing reviews where we were presenting the work over recordings and then sending those recordings out to teams for them to review on their own time, hugely valuable. Mm -hmm. There are documents for reviews where people can leave comments and you can see the history of the comments so that you see the collective feedback and you can see how the feedback's being addressed in different iterations. Huge benefit in progressing the work, right? Yeah. Yeah, I forgot how much you leveraged video on your side as well, because then we're sending you videos of our work at the end of the week. So you can share those asynchronously mm -hmm. as well and not have to worry about a dedicated pitch time or something, you know, and you have to get everybody together every single week. Uh, video is a big unlock. It's funny. I think a lot of people think that we do that now as a result of COVID and the pandemic. You would mm -hmm. know that's not true. We've been doing video deliverables now for I honestly can't even remember. It's been so long. It almost, I literally cannot remember us not doing them. We're 13 years old. It would have had to have been year three or year four where we started to make that transition. All right. Two final questions. First question is, what did the rebrand allow Zora to do 
that it couldn't do before. You know, what was great about Zora is that Zora has a great brand as the subscription economy leader. It's the company that introduced the world to the power of transforming their business model to a subscription business model and the power of recurring revenue and, you know, certainly taking pages from, you know, the work that Adobe has done shifting from products to subscriptions and other companies yes. like that. As that market has matured, people have launched their first subscription, multiple subscriptions. They have different ways of making revenue um, or, or business, business uh, uh, revenue streams. And, you know, what started to happen for Zora is that it just started to become the subscription only company. Right. And uh, so that was yes. getting into conversations that involved areas well within Zora's capabilities and expertise, but not being top of mind for those conversations because they were seen as a subscription company and subscriptions started to seem more niche. Right. So yes. the work that we did in the brand work was both the discovery and the positioning around broader portfolio, broader monetization opportunities, consumption billing usage-based pricing, um, you know, payments, collections, uh, 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 paywalls, payment gateways, you know, revenue recognition, revenue automation. These are all things that are challenges that um, grew exponentially because people moved to subscriptions and challenges that Zora was still the most well-equipped to help companies solve. Mm -hmm. And so companies were not able to see that previously. They were not able to Got see it. that prior to the brand transformation work. So afterwards, you know, a much broader position and expansion of opportunity for the company that was not available prior to the work being done. Yes, the story was clear. So then I'm guessing at that point, Zora is now, or was then at that moment, more top of mind and taken more seriously in those categories, as opposed to, oh, they can't do that, even though you could. Absolutely. Well. It you know, some of the things that we found out is that people in our partner ecosystem had a very evolved story for how they positioned Zora in their meetings and their conversations. You know, their feedback was, you guys are selling yourself as this, but we're selling you as this, right? And oh, your story- wow, very interesting. Wasn't caught up to the way that we're selling you. Well, that was part of our opportunity was to fix that, right? So yes. now to your point, you know, that you were making about your own brand work is that the conversations that we were having in the room and that our partners were having in the room match the conversation that you would see online, match the conversation yes. that you hear at the events, match the conversation that you see from our brand. And so now the expectations yep. of what Zora did aligned with how people were positioning us in the boardroom. Right. And how important is that? How valuable is that? <laughs> Exponential, right? You're talking yes. bigger. <laughs> new landing opportunities, right? Oh, we could only yes. land with one product. Now we can land with four different products. Oh, yes. you know, increased revenue on product lines that were not revenue drivers before, right? All of that happened yes. because of the expanded brand opportunity. Yes, yes. Fantastic. Um, all right, final question. All right. If you were sitting down with a founder or a CEO and they were having trouble understanding an investment in brands, they were skeptics, what would you tell them? I'd ask them a lot of questions first, <laughs> figure out where they are, why they're afraid, what their strategy has been. At some point, we'd probably get to a conversation around the importance of growth and product and demand and pipeline. And I would say that, you know, your investment in brand 
for everyone that seeks to become a customer-centric company is probably one of the most customer-centric investments that you can make because your brand investment is about building a closer connection with your audiences, closer connection with your customers and meeting them where they are and giving them an opportunity to help shape the trajectory of your company and recognizing the, the, the value that they provide and the value that they can continue to provide as the company grows. And that might not necessarily seem as obvious to folks, but you know, when you're doing the work of brand transformation, you're spending time with customers, you're spending time with employees, you're spending time with the partner ecosystem, you're spending time with industry influencers, and you're finding out what do people care about? How do people think about your company? What do people want to see more of from your company? And a lot of times you can address that stuff in product, but even if you address it in product, if you don't have great branding, if you don't have great brand work, nobody knows about it. And so that's yep. the, the work of the brand team is to tell these stories, to mine these stories, choose a brand leader to help find your customer advocates that are going to tell, you know, and, and evangelize your brand from the rooftops, choose, you know, your brand leader to find how people feel about the company and how they want to feel about the problem that they're facing and how our brand can deliver that promise of solving that challenge and helping this customer feel empowered helping them feel more innovative, helping them feel supported, you know, helping them feel like they've got a partnership. That's the role of your brand leader is again, to help make people believe that this company is capable of solving those challenges and helping that customer become successful. Yes, 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 yes. We're obviously trying to create a world where people do believe in the power of brand specifically. Yeah. I think it can often be seen as uh, a frou-frou, feelings only design and communications exercise stuck to the brand department, marketing department of an organization. And we're trying to unlock that ourselves and have founders, CEOs, um, see the bigger picture there. And it's important for other people to speak to it, not just me. Right. So yeah. thank you for sharing your thoughts there. Uh, I sure hope we meet at another project and unlock the potential uh, in yet another company through brand. I appreciate you guys and I um, I appreciate you. I appreciate your team and excited to see you guys continue to grow. So whatever you need, I'm always here, man.